As we come to the preaching of God's word, please join me as we pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that we can share your word together like this. Uh, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we ask that even now you'd be preparing our hearts and minds to receive your word. Uh, grow us in Christ Jesus. Show us the glory and wonder that is your son. Uh, that we might live lives of uh, repentance and faith. All to your praise and glory we pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2012, I was in Dubai and I saw lots of strange things in Dubai. Uh, one of those strange things was all the skyscrapers. They all seemed to be being built all at once. There was 70 of the world's biggest cranes uh, were there on this one stretch of road there in Dubai. And nearly all of these skyscrapers were empty. Uh, then it gets you thinking about those cities in China. Have you seen those news episodes uh, reporting from China? Cities being constructed, they're brand new, they're shiny, uh, complete with shopping centers and hospitals and traffic lights and office space and the whole box and dice, but they build about 20 of these cities each year. Uh, but they're called ghost cities. China's littered with them, apparently. They're just empty. Uh, which brings us to Nehemiah and Jerusalem. Nehemiah's built the walls, hasn't he? Uh, all the renovations are done. Things are shiny and new again. <laughs> well, sort of. But there is something else that Nehemiah needs, far more important. What does Nehemiah need for this city? You're right, he needs people. You need people. It's one thing to build walls. It's an entirely another prospect to rebuild a nation, a kingdom. And here lies Nehemiah's next challenge. Each week he's been faced with a challenge. Will he be successful? Will he be vindicated last week, today? Is, how's he going to rebuild a nation? How do you do that? And this is really important because being God's people in God's place under God's rule is what God's person is supposed to be about. That's how we live. That's our framework for living. Did you know that? That we are God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's the pattern. Let, let me do the pattern again. Say it with me if you can. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Well, we see that expressed in Nehemiah. I've, we've mentioned it very briefly. All through the history of God's people, whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden or whether it's Israel in the promised land, the storyline of the Bible shows us this consistent pattern. What is it? God's people in God's place under God's rule. Beginning to end. And so here, let's talk about God's people uh, in God's place. Uh, pick it up at chapter 7. Let me get my Bible. Chapter 7 of Nehemiah, verse 4. Where are they? Let me read it. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. 
It's a ghost town. It's a ghost town. Where are they? They're inside Jerusalem. Uh, but even the surrounding towns have not been rebuilt. Uh, much of the rest of chapter 7 is about that. Those numbers are about those, the population of those towns, those places. Uh, but the city, the city is empty. Be sure of that. Um, and so the rest of chapter 7 outlines a list of those who return from captivity. Here they come. What are they coming out of? They're not coming out of Egypt. Nehemiah takes us not out of Persia. No, we're, we're moving further back to Babylon here. This is the picture. This is where their captivity started. Uh, look at verse 6, what Nehemiah wants to do. He says, These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. And then you get the list. Big long list. Um, it looks dry and boring. I mentioned that to somebody last weekend and they said, not if you're a solicitor. Each to their own, I guess. But this is what's being communicated here is this is a second exodus. They are returning to the city. They're returning to nearby towns as well. And then when we get to chapter 11, there are leaders that continue to make plans to add to their number. They're rebuilding a nation, remember. And you need to do this, otherwise, it, otherwise it's just an empty city, isn't it? A ghost town. And it's a good reminder for us, when we think about the kingdom of God, when we think about ministry, it reminds us that this is about people, and it's about relationships, and how we um, exist in a community, if you like. And so what's the pattern again? What was that pattern? It was God's people. Well, we've talked about that. God's place and God's rule. And, and Nehemiah, he's got the place sorted. It's The walls are up, Jerusalem. Let's go. The people, he's now getting that sorted, isn't he? Because they're coming back. But what about God's rule? Which brings us to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, this is the reading the girls read out for us, and they did such a good job. Thank you, girls. Nehemiah chapter 8, if you can see it, it's party time. This is the grand opening of the city of Jerusalem. And here they are celebrating. Look at verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Um, the water gate is the place nearest their water resource, their, their, the best pure water resource that they had. That's the water gate. Um, and we're going to see it's connected to the Feast of Tabernacles and on. Anyway, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And how long, how long did they read the Bible for? Pick it up at verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That's, that's good. Uh, maybe that implies that the children weren't there. Uh, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. 
And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. How long did they read it for? How long did they read it for? From daybreak till noon. That's a lot of time to be reading uh, God's word, isn't it? How long? From daybreak till noon. Uh, these 20 minute, 30 minute uh, online episodes uh, have got nothing on what Nehemiah and his mates did back then. Of course, maybe we're going to assume then that the application is that the church, our church services just need to be longer. Is that right? Or our Bible readings need to be longer. Chapter 8 was pretty long, but it wasn't from daybreak till noon, that's for sure. Maybe sermons need to be longer. <laughs> I remember when I started ministry, um, a, a gentleman in Canada said, bishops get to preach for 30 minutes. The vicar, he gets to preach for 2025. You're neither of those blokes. You get to preach for 15. I hope that's okay. <laughs> it was so encouraging. Uh, but see the, see the movement here. Look at verse 13. We'll pick it up. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters, tents, during the festival of the seventh month. That's the festival of the booths or the tabernacles, right? Uh, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their rooftops, in their courtyards, and in the courts of the house of God. Uh, and in the square, by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. It is party time central. Uh, you've got to see that. See the movement, though, that part of their celebration, uh, the focus of this party, the, the, the focus of their joy and celebration, they're reading the Bible. <laughs> They're reading the Bible. Maybe it's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. That is possible. And see that they're responding in obedience as they do what the Bible says. And in this case, it's to celebrate the festival of the booths or the festival of the tabernacles. Uh, that's what's on view. Now, you might be going, what on earth is that? That's a good question. In Leviticus chapter 23, verses 41 to 43, you get a snapshot. It says... Uh, and because it's in Leviticus, you can be sure the context is the Exodus, the first Exodus, the, the deliverance from Egypt and Pharaoh and all of that. But Leviticus 23, uh, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. So it's a week long party. This is to be a lasting ordinance. So it's law for generations to come. So you keep doing it. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. Go camping for a week. That's great. 
All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. There it is. I am the Lord your God, he says. See, do the camping thing. Go and reenact it and go and live it out so that you can remember how hard it was, yeah, but also so that you can remember that God uh, delivered his people from slavery. He's done it before. Reenact it. Learn the story. Remember. Remember. Remember that you've been redeemed. Don't forget the first exodus. Remember that God is the one that saved you and rescued you. Also notice you don't do it like you're the solo man. Uh, you do it together in a community, as a family, but also as a, an assembly. Be like all of Inverell going out to Copeton with your tents and, uh, and celebrating. Be kind of like that. Except the why is God and his love and his deliverance. There's a deeper story behind it. It's not just camping for camping's sake, as much fun as that might be. And so here is the why of God's law. Why does God tell them to celebrate the Passover or the tabernacle, Feast of the Tabernacles or other things? It's because it helps them to remember their redemption, that they have been redeemed from Egypt. That their God is a rescuing God, a saving God that longs for his people to come back and live as his people, his people in his place under his rule. And no wonder they might be tempted to cry about this. They're getting emotional because what they're experiencing uh, in Nehemiah's day, is like a second exodus. It's a second homecoming. Uh, even as they confess and pray in chapter 9, um, Mark Jeffrey showed me this on Monday night, the first exodus is at the forefront of their minds. It's the context of what, what they're experiencing and what they're doing. That yet again, here we go again, we're being delivered from slavery. Yet again, God is intervening. Yet again, God is the one who acts. He's the loving Father that steps in. And he keeps his promises. He shows grace. He shows mercy. And he calls his people home to him. Such is the long-suffering patience of our Heavenly Father. See him put up with us. Now, we might ask a good question now is, well, what's the application? What do I do this as a Christian living in Inverell or wherever it is you are? How are we to understand these chapters? Is, is the application to read God's word? Are we being encouraged to delight in his law like the psalmist did in Psalm 19? Are we to delight in the law of God and celebrate his word? Are we to obey the Old Testament law? Or have a church camp. Is that an application? Let's go on a church camp. Ah, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Do we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Some might go, yeah, why not? Is this the part where I encourage you about God's word and say, get into a Bible study? Uh, or to read your Bible every day? 
Is that what you're expecting me to say in light of this passage? I could, and I kind of have. But some of those are not, not true. I don't know that they're the main point, and that's okay. Um, so I want to ask you, what do we learn about Jesus here? How do we see the glory and wonder that is Jesus lift off these, these pages? That's Often I pray that before I preach. How do we see that here in Nehemiah? Well, in the Gospels, in John chapter 7 and 8, uh, Jesus turns up in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. That's interesting. He turns up actually on the last day, John's Gospel says. Uh, and that's the day when uh, the, the temple priest is doing a water rite. Uh, and the water rite is to symbolize Israel's desperate thirst in the desert, but also God's provision as he takes big jars of water up into the temple. Um, but it also points forward to the Holy Spirit uh, coming, uh, as described by Ezekiel. All of this is going on in the background in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. And maybe they're remembering Nehemiah because this is what they're doing here. And actually, now that we're back in Nehemiah, do you remember at, it was Ezra? He, he's reading this from the Watergate, uh, which was part of the feast. And here we are in John's Gospel. Jesus turns up during the same event, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's... The only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching. People are amazed. Jesus says things like in chapter 7, 16, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. He says things like, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. He's quoting Ezekiel. Or John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. This is what Jesus is saying. As, as the people in Jerusalem have a party and remember their deliverance from Egypt, Jesus is saying, our redemption, it's not the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. We didn't need to be rescued from Pharaoh or Babylon like they did in Nehemiah's day or Moses' day. Our redemption, our deliverance, is our deliverance from slavery to sin. Our exodus is not from the power of chains and toil and hard labor and a cruel oppressor. Our exodus is from the power of sin and death, the world and the devil. This is what we've come out of. God has delivered us and he has rescued us from those enemies, sin, world, death, the devil. God has rescued us from those enemies in Jesus. The encouragement for us then as we read Nehemiah is to embrace Jesus. Do you see that? To drink from him. Jesus is our Redeemer. He has bought us for himself 
We are not our own. We are his. And so like Nehemiah and his mates, we read God's word, sure. But instead of seeing the law, we see Jesus. Like Nehemiah and company, we remember that we are redeemed, yeah, but instead of remembering our redemption and building shelters and tents, we remember our redemption in Christ and we build church families. The difference between Nehemiah and us is Jesus. It's nothing more and it's nothing less. He is the source of our redemption. Do you see that? That he is the word of God, sure. He is the law fulfilled, sure. But it is through him that we look forward to being part of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem to come. That great assembly at the end of the ages. The assembly here in Nehemiah is a foreshadow. It's a foreshadow, a little glimpse, a preview of that bigger gathering Uh, at the end of the age where we will rejoice with Jesus for all eternity. And even church is meant to be a taste of that. And so if we are not about Jesus, all we have to offer our community is an empty city. Our church building that people say is beautiful, it becomes like an empty city a shell, unless we are about pointing people to Jesus. And the encouragement for us today is, yes, to be like the people here in Nehemiah's time. Yeah, we're to read the word, don't hear that, definitely. Yeah, we're to remember our redemption, we've been saved, hallelujah. Yes, we are to proclaim this to one another, absolutely. But see the key difference now is Jesus. This side of the cross, God's people are those that belong to him in Jesus. We are his kingdom people. God's place, where is it? It's now in the hearts of his people who belong to him in Christ. And his rule is still expressed through his word, but it's now a word that points us to the fullness of Jesus. How else can you know him apart from the word? And so the encouragement is to embrace Jesus, to let him wash us, to saturate us from head to toe, to think like he does, to walk as he walks, to let Jesus penetrate every essence of our being, that he would shape our lives. Jesus is the living water. And that is to be refreshing for us. It gives us meaning and purpose in our life. But this is the thing. There are plenty of places for us to drink from, aren't there? There are plenty of wells in our world that we can approach. We could drink from the well of the Sunrise Program and let Koshi and Sam tell us how our world works and how we should think about different things. And they'll tell us their opinion. They don't report the news for us anymore. They interpret it as well. They preach. Or we could drink from the well of Carl and Ali. Uh, Same thing. And they can tell you what to think, can't they? (laughs) But not Jesus. That's the way the world is. Or we might drink from the well of popular culture and allow what is popular to rule our minds, to shape our lives, to tell us how to raise our kids, 
how to think about gender issues and sex or whatever the case might be. It could be Dr. Phil that tells you. It could be Ellen. Lots of people like that. And we let them preach to us and tell us how life works. It might be social media. It might be your mates down at the pub or at Rotary or at work. And we let them preach to us and tell us how life works. Oh, no, but not Jesus. Not Jesus, no. See, why do we drink from a cattle trough when we can be drinking from the well that is Jesus Christ himself? The one who offers us lasting salvation, lasting forgiveness, life eternal, love unending. And isn't this then how we see the kingdom of God grow? Nehemiah, he cared about God's kingdom, so he called people back to Jerusalem. We also care about God's kingdom, so we call people back to Jesus and his gospel. We keep pointing people to Jesus. We put on the full armour of God. We clad ourselves with the gospel. Uh, we preach the gospel. And that is how God's kingdom grows. We preach the gospel. Amen.